This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of integration and guidance, Mark Nepo. Recently, a friend said to me, everyone I know has to work obsessively and is worried about losing their jobs, being downsized and eliminated. I confess there are times I worry about this too. There is no minimizing the hardships that arise beyond our control, especially when we have others to care for. This is not new. Even the mythic Odysseus, after being a sailor all his life, after finding his way home after 10 years of war and 10 more years of wandering, even he was downsized. Forced into retirement, there he was pining to return to his glory days at sea. When a soothsayer came to him in a dream and said, take your favorite oar and go inland until no one has heard of you, and then go further until no one has heard of an oar or the sea. Plant your oar there and start a garden. Life may downsize the things we rely on or how we see ourselves, but our spirit waits like a song in a blanket. No matter how dear the tapestry, there is something more, something more dear in each of us that waits for the blanket to be lifted so our spirit can sing. First reading, uh, scripture readings from Exodus 32, verses 1 through 8. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to them, Come make gods for us. Who shall, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears, brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversively. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. A word from the epistle according to Philippians 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence or anything that is praiseworthy, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. So when I was uh, seven or eight years old, Christmas came around and I unwrapped a present from my grandpa and grandma and it was this guy. Galaxy 2 video game. When I was seven or eight, this is like early 80s, this was pretty cool. And a new idea for me. And basically, batteries are dead, but if the batteries work, it actually still works. And you're a little space guy at the bottom and you move back and forth and you fire at aliens who are raining down from the sky. And what seven or eight girl doesn't want to be in the galaxy firing at aliens? (laughs) Pretty cool. So from my earliest days, video game was something that sort of captured my imagination and soon my friends had things like a Commodore 64 or a Texas Instruments or a Vectrex and a cousin got an Atari and that was pretty cool and then I got an Atari was that a good thing? I don't know but I liked it uh, you know, playing Centipede Miss Pac-Man, Frogger what are some other good Atari games? Asteroids Asteroids what's that? Yeah, all right, I don't know that. We need to talk, good? Good, absolutely. And then a friend got something called a Nintendo, and when I saw Super Mario Brothers for the first time, I thought, this is a whole other ball of wax. This is, this is a new thing. And so my brother and I saved up, got a Nintendo, played some games, enjoyed it. Well, a few years later, Super Mario 3 was coming out, and I was all in on Nintendo at this point, and I was calling... The toy stores, do you have Super Mario 3 in stock yet? Do you have it in stock yet? No, do you have, I kept calling, they were kind of getting sick of me. Finally they got it, and my brother, or, and I went and got it, and my brother and I played it until we beat it, you know, probably didn't sleep that night. But we loved it. So I've always enjoyed video games. 
Well, the other day, I figured out that there's this uh, little thing on my phone called Free NES. And I don't know if you can see it, but Super Mario 3 right there in my pocket. So for some of you, that sound will be a little nostalgic. <laughs> I mean, just music to our ears, right? This is amazing. All right. So the question is, when is it that we're so into something or love something so much that you could say that we worship it, right? Or it perhaps has become an idol in our lives. Everybody who was excited about video games a moment ago is just thinking, I'm not into video games. <laughs> Talking about idolatry, I'm definitely not into video games. Well, in our text, right, the people are in the wilderness, and they've been let out of slavery in Egypt. God has brought them to freedom. They've been wandering. Now they've been at Mount Sinai, where they have met with God, and God has spoken to them some stipulations of their relationships, some ways in which if they walk in these ways, the Ten Commandments, their life with each other and with God might go better than if they don't. Well, now in our text today, Moses has been up on the mountain with God, and he's been taking a while, and they're wondering, where is Moses? We don't know where this guy is. And fear starts to set in. What's going to happen? Is Moses still with us? Is God still with us? Aaron, we've got to do something. And Aaron's like, all right, give me all your stuff. And they melt it together, and they make a golden calf, and they worship it. It's a stark and vivid scene. We see that the people have a celebration and revelry ensues, which in ancient times, you know, I'll let you use your imagination on what that might have been like. But it was quite a scene. And maybe understandable, right, given the ancient setting in which this all happens. Right? It might be harder for us to imagine, let's take some things, make it, and form this little statue, and we're going to worship this little statue. Or that maybe that doesn't feel like a threat for you and I, something we're worried about week to week. A question might be here, which uh, of the commands are they breaking? God has just given them the Ten Commandments, the first two which seem to be at stake here. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, here they've made a golden calf. The second one is, you shall not make any graven image to bow down to it. Well, that definitely seems like that's going on. It's interesting, scholars wonder, are they building um, this calf and, and worshiping it as its own god, or are they worshiping it as a representation of the god that they already are following? Because Aaron says, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. And then he declares the next day to be a festival to Yahweh. And so it's a little confusing as to what's happening in the minds of the people. But in any case, they're doing one and or two things that God has expressly asked them not to. And much of it, I think, is rooted in fear. Is God with us or not? Is Moses with us or not? We need something tangible that we can see and touch and know that it's going to be there. Perhaps we can relate to that fear ourselves. But again, as I noted, most of us aren't too worried about 
shaping an actual physical object uh, for the sake of imagining that that thing is the god of the universe. So I looked up the definition of idolatry in Webster, Merriam-Webster to see if that would help us. The number, there's two definitions. The first is the worship of a physical object as God. The worship of a physical object as God, that seems to be what's happening in our text at some level. Number two, this one maybe comes into play for us a little more. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for someone or something. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for someone or something. Well, we love, revere, and admire all kinds of things, right? People, things, in our world, in our society. But when does it cross that line into being extreme? And when does extreme mean this object has become an idol in our lives? And so it's for us, I think, the invitation to think about the question this morning is what might we be tempted to worship today? I can ask you to answer that yet, but I will in a moment, so think about that. What might we be tempted to worship today? And how do we know when we've crossed the line over into something that might be termed idolatrous? What are signs that something might be coming, might be becoming idolatrous in our lives? And now I am going to invite you to answer. What's a sign that something might be heading into that danger zone of it's taking up too much of my time and thought? energy, admiration. Distraction from other responsibilities? Or okay, yeah, it kind of takes up time and or mental capacity so that other things suffer. I think that's a good one. Anyone else? All right, I'll ask you an easier question in a moment, so... I think uh, Bethany's right on there, a prioritization of something at cost of other things in our lives. If we call something an obsession, maybe that is something to consider. If we're unwilling to talk about it, is that a sign that something might be an idol in our lives? Like we just can't even have the conversation. Are we defensive and irrational about it? Does it dominate our thoughts? Do we spend excessive time on it? So now I'm going to ask, what are some examples in our society of things that might be deemed idols or things that are worshipped? Jobs. Jobs? Your job. Okay, career jobs, yeah. A square black box. A square black box. <laughs> yeah. Especially one that comes with Netflix, you know. Social media. Social media, okay. Money. Money. Celebrity. Celebrity. Military. Military. Sports. Sports. Careful, we weren't gonna say things I'd deal with. <laughs> talk about other things. We were only gonna talk about other things. Christy's like, no, this is what we need to talk about. It's getting hot in here. Hobbies. Hobbies? Hobbies? Yeah, sure. Right, and and all, these could be very good things, right? In and of themselves, like a lot of things we named are not bad things. It's good that we have jobs, right? 
And TV, well, we could argue whether that's good or not, but you know, it provides entertainment, insight, sometimes education into our lives, and we're appreciative of that. But is there balance? Is, are these things taking an undue place in our lives? Military was mentioned. Uh, you could say nationalism or the flag or patriotism or, you know, wrap that whole thing up into one, right? And you know that when um, one of the symbols, the anthem or the flag, if people don't respond in a certain way, it triggers for other people, hey, you can't act that way. You need to stand. You need to have your hand. That, well, is that an idol? Is that something that is crossing that line? It's worth asking. It's worth asking. And what was the thing that triggered for the Israelites? Building of this golden calf was fear. Is God with us or not? Is God with us or not? And you could say that if you're going to spend the amount of collective resources we do on weapons and uh, war, are we trusting that God is with us? You wonder. You wonder. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some nations trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. So it is worth asking, what are we putting our trust in? Some of these other things have been named uh, exactly right. Leisure, sports, our own image, perhaps, could be something that we worship. And I think that's a danger today, right, for all of us. We live in an age in which we can share our lives at an unprecedented level with everyone. Right? We can all have our own blog. We can all have our own Instagram feed. We can all have a lot of ways of expressing ourselves, which can be very good things and actually allow us to sort of come into ourselves. But when does it cross that line into narcissism or something that's unhealthy or something that we have to have a certain way and it becomes the most important thing in our lives? What else? The Bible. I was going to have one up here. The Bible. Could the Bible be an idol? Yes. That feels too close to home, right? The Bible's the one that tells us about idolatry, so that can't be an idol. But I think it can be, right? If we approach the text in a certain way, if we treat it as a holy, sacred thing in and of itself, and it becomes the most important thing in our understanding, and our way of reading it becomes the only way of reading it, and we want to impose that on everyone else, it could be said that we're crossing that line into idolatry. Peter Rollins says, what we see taking place in the church today is the reduction of God into an idol. Could God be an idol? Hmm, everybody's wondering about that. That feels counterintuitive, right? How could God be an idol? Good pup theology question. <laughs> Good pup theology. Yeah, come back tomorrow night. We'll talk. Uh, how could God be an idol? Well, I think that what he's saying is our idea of God. Right? The Israelites fashioned a thing and worshipped it. But we, too, fashion ideas of who or what God is. And then... Worship often that, assuming that is exactly who God is. And St. Augustine, I'm going to roughly paraphrase, said, if we think we know exactly who and what God is, 
about any doubt or any questions, probably a good sign we're not actually on the way or worshiping God as God is. So could God be an idol or our idea of God? And the title of the book in which Rollins states that is The Idolatry of God Breaking the Addiction to Certainty and Satisfaction. And so if we need God to be a certain way so that there are no questions, so that everything is answered, so that there's no gray area, so that there's no mystery, then is it really God we're dealing with? Or is it our own need for certainty, satisfaction, having to have it all nailed down that we're actually worshiping? And so how do we keep our hearts open? How do we keep our hearts open? Because when things begin to take undue place in our lives, I think our hearts begin to shrink a little or harden, become more rigid. Because we can't imagine life another way without this thing that we've put in a certain place in our lives. And so how do we break out of that? How do we keep our hearts open? And it's worth asking because our obsessions have consequences. Who does this help or who does this hurt? Does this bring good into the world or into my life? The ancient philosopher Socrates believed that the wise person would instinctively lead a frugal life. He himself would not wear shoes, and yet he constantly fell under the spell of the marketplace and would go there often to look at all of the wares on display. Well, one of his friends asked him, why do you do that, Socrates? Socrates said, I love to go there and discover how many things I am perfectly happy without. (laughs) That feels like torture, right? We've all done window shopping. Sometimes it's just nice to just pull out that credit card and actually buy it, you know. But he said, I love to go there and discover how many things I am perfectly happy without. This is in a book from Anthony DeMello. And he said, spirituality is knowing, is not knowing what you want, but understanding what you don't need. Understanding what you don't need. Sometimes we think we need to always add more into our lives. Sometimes we grow by subtraction. And so, you know, spiritual practices such as fasting can help us break the spell of things that have a grip on our lives, right? If you're wondering if you can't do without something, that's a good sign that maybe it's time to ask the question, does this thing have too high of a place in my life? So maybe a fast from food, if that's the issue, or a fast from something else, that makes it really hard for you to do. If you think of that thing, and this is a very personal thing, right? We all have things in our lives we can think of. It's easy to think of what others struggle with, right? But I think the invitation this morning is, what about me? What's in my heart and life that I really struggle to do without? And then I think finally, Paul in Philippians provides us with some pointers at keeping our hearts open. He says, let your gentleness be open to all. The Lord is near. Right? That question the Israelites had, is God with us or not? Is Moses, where is he? Paul reminds us, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. Worry can be something we excel at, obsess over. He says, don't worry about anything. Release it to God. And as you do that, the peace of God will guard your hearts. And then he gives us some things to think about. Whatever is true, honorable, 
just, pleasing, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things because the things we put our mind on are the things that our heart ends up being attached to. And then he says, be content and the God of peace will be with you. So friends, whatever idols might be lurking in our hearts, in our homes, hear these words of Paul. And may you know that the Lord is near, that the God of peace is with you, and that you can do all things through the one who gives you strength. Amen and namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.